Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Hump Day edition of the Yard. A lot to talk about, a lot to report, a lot to discuss in relation to Mississippi State sports. You know, I don't know if you're aware of this. The, uh, there is a proposal before the Division I Council that is being voted on today that is a permanent resolution. It is not one of these COVID-19 deals that, uh, you know, it's just going to be temporary, kind of like the, the re- relaxation of the roster limits in college baseball. But this is college baseball related. So as I understand it, and I admit I haven't seen all the proposal, I'm getting some of this secondhand. Okay, so please, please, please bear with me. But Kendall Rogers shared yesterday that the NCAA Division I Council is going to vote to allow partial scholarship sports, including baseball, to be able to stack financial aid. What does that mean, Steve? Well, I'll tell you. I'm glad you asked. So for partial scholarship sports, to prevent teams from circumventing the scholarship rules, they would not allow you to recruit an athlete. Let's say you go, let's say that you know, my kid, Anya Robertson, who was a, a great all-state baseball player in Louisiana. Thank you very much. So let's say they recruited Ani to go play baseball at Mississippi State. Well, if Ani had an academic scholarship, well, then that, that, that counted. So it's like you, you couldn't recruit him as an athlete and then put him on academic aid only to kind of circumvent the 11.7. And so now you're going to be able to do that. So let's say, for an example, a kid gets a partial academic scholarship where before that kind of impeded your ability. Now it gives you the ability to reward those kids on the academic side and then save your 11.7 baseball scholarships for other kids. And so people said, and and I've read some things too, and again, again, let me preface this by saying I haven't read the full legislation. But I've read some people say, oh, no, this is going to give Vandy a bigger advantage. No, it's not. This is Vanderbilt's worst nightmare. This is, well, other than, than if the NCAA closed loophole on need-based aid, this is a huge, huge blow to Vandy's recent run because of the fact everybody else has been, uh, not everybody, but most everybody else has been, uh, you know, regulated 11.7 scholarship kids and having to spread that out over 27 players. You know, now you're going to be able to use some of the Vandy tricks. Now you're going to be able to say, okay, well, listen, you know, Jake Mangum was an all-A student at Jackson Prep, and so we're going to be able to put him on academic aid. So he'll get 100% scholarship or whatever as a student and then play for us and then basically be a walk-on. And so then we have all of our scholarship money left to distribute among other players where you were not able to do that before. Now you'll be able to. It's a big, big deal. And again, don't know all the parameters around this, but I know this is big. And it, and again, if the legislation passes, it is permanent. It is not just for this year. It is not just something that we deal with, uh, you know, because of the, the, the virus. And so I reached out to a couple people closely affiliated with Mississippi State Baseball. You know them, but I'm not going to quote them. But basically, the sentiment is this. Not exactly sure what the package looks like just yet, but anything that enables our student-athletes to be able to afford going to school is what we support. And that is exactly what this legislation is designed to do. And so that's important. Uh, and again, if I'm Tim Corbin, I'm thinking, well, you know, it was good while it lasted. I, listen, Vanderbilt's still going to be a great program. But my point being is that this is going to be as a step towards leveling the playing field when it comes to providing financial aid to baseball players and other partial scholarship sports. It's very, very significant. And I've seen some people try to downplay it and say, well, you know, now Vanderbilt's going to be able to pull from everywhere. But as I said on Bo Bound show this morning, Vanderbilt already, already fully funds baseball. There's not going to be a greater advantage for them because of the fact they're already using five need-based scholarships that are 100% scholarships that do not have an academic component to them provided the kid qualifies. It's just it's crazy. There's there's a certain there's some very minimal standards that are available for that. That is fully funded by Vanderbilt, 100% scholarship through their endowment for five players per year, not per roster, per year. So they could stack those on. So conceivably, you could have 20 kids at Vanderbilt on 100% scholarship. 20. You could. 
And then they still would have the 11.7 to work with. It's insane. And it's so crazy when I see Mr. Vanderbilt fan out there trying to justify it. Listen, you're getting away with something nobody else is really doing. You're not cheating. You're exploiting a loophole. But please don't sit here and insult our intelligence and say it's unfair because you guys charge more for tuition when the majority of your student athletes aren't paying tuition. Get out of here with that. But in, nevertheless, this is big. I hope it passes. There's no guarantee this yet. Hopefully, we'll later this afternoon. But I'm just happy to see that there are steps being taken in the right direction to help partial scholarship athletes be able to pay for school. It's just like Ethan Small being a first-round draft pick, and one of the first things that he does with his signing bonus is write a check to pay off his student loans. Why? Because he was an ace pitcher? You know, what if, what if he'd been a, you know, a first-round tight end? It had been a different deal because he wouldn't have had to graduate with debt. There is a great inequity in all of college athletics, and this is among the worst. Among the worst. So it's good to see we're taking some steps. Again, it won't be a complete level playing field, but it's going to change things in a major way. Because, you know, we have full academic scholarships here at Mississippi State, too. You know, it's not like we're, you know, we're just, you know, trying to figure this thing out. You know, there, there are a lot of students that go to school at Mississippi State on academic scholarship. And so... There are, there are some student athletes that are, in addition to being excellent ball players, excellent students. And so when you can go out and recruit those guys and get those guys on academic scholarship and provide them with a roster spot and then be able to up your offer somewhere else, maybe you're, maybe where before you could offer 33%, perhaps you can offer 50 So it's a great deal. So I hope it works out. I want to remind you, our good friends at Bulldog Burger Company, longtime sponsors of this show, man, and great, great restaurateurs in the Golden Triangle area have been serving our community for many, many years, a great family of restaurants. You can make an online order for Bulldog Burger Company or any of those restaurants by going to eatwithus.com, or you can just stop by Bulldog Burger Company and, and get your food. I mean, there are so many great options to choose from there. I am a big proponent of the Pimentology Burger. I am not a pimento and cheese fan. Listen, every dinner on the grounds when I was a kid going to church, my mom would put one of those little pimento and cheese sandwiches on my plate, and it never got eaten because I didn't like pimento and cheese. But I like the Pimentology Burger. You'll like it too. Add the bacon. You only live once. Make it worthwhile. Two locations now to serve you right here on University Drive in Stark, Vegas, and on Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, Mississippi. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people in Starkville and now Tupelo go to meet. M-E-A-T. So, big news. Broke some news before we go online with you guys today. Jamar Chaney coming home. That's right. We had talked about this back in January. You may recall there was some discussion about Jamar Chaney being interviewed to be a potentially linebacker's coach here at Mississippi State. Uh, That didn't work out. And it was a deal, you know, back in January, too, that – you know, Mississippi State was recruiting Jamari Stewart. Jamari Stewart uh, played for uh, Jamar Chaney in high school for a year. Jamar, of course, left there, goes to Florida. And so there is that two-year window that is an issue. You know, so because it's, it's kind of – I'll just go ahead and say it. It's kind of like the Wayne Brent rule. You remember the Provon Posse where uh, Rod Barnes goes and, and gives Wayne Brent a job and signs a whole Provon posse. And that's not to say that Wayne Brent did anything improper. I'm not suggesting that. My point being is it's it's situations like that where you go and offer a high school coach or a uh, relative or something a job in an off-the-field capacity, um, you know, that, that's become in vogue. And so, you know, Wayne Brent obviously was a coach. But my point being is that you, you go target the high school coach for employment and there's the promise of a job or something if a player is delivered. And so the NCAA took some steps to kind of prevent that practice from continuing, so they put in that two-year window. And so that was one of the things that was kind of in the way back in January. Now, it's been six months, and uh, Jamar, of course, was at Florida for, uh, you know, for, for 2019. And so I'm told it's not quite two years. However, they were able to get a waiver because of the hardships around Jamari Stewart's situation. Paul Jones digging into that for us, too. I broke the news on Jamar coming, and Paul immediately went to work to find out, it, like, did we did we need to find out if Jamari Stewart had uh, had failed to qualify or something? Was that the reason this was open up? So Paul doing good work, getting to work on that, and uh, we're getting a waiver there. So Jamari's coming and Jamar's coming. Uh, what a great situation that is. Uh, and what's interesting about that, too, you know, Jamari Stewart, one of the better stories in the class, I've shared with you guys before, you know, his, uh, his dad was deported before he was born. 
uh, lives in Haiti, and then uh, you know, his mom is disabled. And so this kid, for many respects, has kind of raised himself. And uh, he needs football and needs Mississippi State. And uh, I'm glad Jamar Chaney will get a chance to see it all happen up close now. Big news. And Jamar Chaney and his uh, lovely wife expecting child number three. It's a good chance that that baby will be born a Bulldog right here in Starkville. OCH, they'll be calling. So what does that mean now? So, so here's what Jamar Chaney will do. Jamar Chaney was the assistant director of player personnel at Florida, and that encompasses a lot of responsibilities. It'll be different here. He will be a senior defensive analyst here. So what is, what's a defensive analyst do? What's a quality control guy do? And uh, we have kind of you – know, listen, when Jim Moorhead was here, we had more QC guys than we did players, it seemed. But uh, I'm joking a little bit, a little bit. Uh, but it's a little different. So what Jamar would do is, you know, part of being a defensive analyst is uh, you do a lot of self-scouting. And so you know the defense, you know everybody's checks, you know everybody's responsibilities on a play. Then you go back and review film, and you kind of, you know, grade your guys out and ensure that they're doing their job. That's part of that deal. That's part of the, the, the process, uh, you know, for, for what a defensive analyst would do. They also would do some, sometimes do some scouting of other teams. But it'll be an off-the-field role for Jamar initially. Now, long-term, Jamar wants to be an on-the-field coach at Mississippi State and really everywhere else. He wants to get into coaching. You know, he played in the National Football League for five years, then went into high school coaching, wants to be around the game. So, Jamar will have an opportunity at some point to transition onto the field. And that's the thing when you look at this deal here with him being here back at Mississippi State, being a defensive analyst, getting another 3-3-5, kind of understanding the aspects of how all this thing works. Uh, then all of a sudden when, when a spot opens up here in a couple of years or so, you've already groomed a guy to go on the field. Rather than having to go find somebody and go beat the bushes and you know, bring in somebody you don't know, you can promote from within and put Cheney on the field. And this is a guy that will know your scheme, know your way of doing things, know your players, you know, know your culture. So it's a great situation not only for Jamar but for Mississippi State. One of our own, coming back home, having a chance to, uh, to be part of something special. And listen, here's the deal, too. There's a lot of people out there, Mississippi State fans, that are a little bit concerned uh, about recruiting. And I get it. As a matter of fact, I've got an article going uh, live here shortly. Uh, you know, I've, I'm concerned about in-state recruiting, too. Uh, I've been told that uh, the, the, the temperature is about to be turned up on uh, a handful of guys within the state of Mississippi. And so, you know, we'll see if that happens. But, you know, as it stands right now, uh, there's not a lot of the top ten players, which, to be fair, the rankings need to be skewed a little bit. I mean, that's, that we've got some we got some issues in the rankings. Uh, I'll take some responsibility for it that I haven't been nearly as vocal as I should be. But this is not a deep pool of talent this year in the state of Mississippi, and evaluations are probably worse than they ever have been because we haven't had a chance to get out and see kids in camps or combines or anything like that. Uh, so that's part of the issue. So the rankings aren't what they normally would be because we've had limited access to players but two you're ranking a much more shallow pool of talent than you ordinarily would be but all that said we got to win at home and there are some players that have offers from Mississippi State that are likely to go elsewhere and so we've got to figure that out and so with Jamar being here Jamar obviously understands that uh, but we listen we've got some defensive playmakers on this team and we've got uh, you know, now we've got a bulldog that understands, you know, the bulldog way and the mentality. And so when he when he has an opportunity, you know, to, to speak to those guys, when he has an opportunity to say anything, uh, then that means that uh, you know, Jamar Chaney's voice is going to carry a little more weight. That's not to say that Zach, Zach Garnett doesn't. Zach's played in his defense, but you know, Jamar Chaney has worn the uniform. Jamar Chaney has played on Davis Wade Stadium turf. He's been at Scott Field. He gets it. This is a kid that was here. When we weren't very good, you know, he was one of those people that kind of helped build the foundation for the return of Mississippi State football. And so he will cast a big shadow in that locker room. And obviously uh, you know, his, his coaching, per se, is, is rather limited because of the role that he's in. But this is a guy that came to Mississippi State. And some of you may, may forget, have forgotten this, but he initially signed with the University of Georgia and then had some admission issues there. And then because of Mark Rick's, uh, respect for Sylvester Croom. He reached out to see if Coach still had a spot. Obviously, they made a spot. Jamar comes here. And, they, and the SEC eventually closed that little loophole there, whereas, you know, if you didn't qualify for one SEC school, then you were off limits for the rest. 
so Jamar was one of the first people to able to, to kind of get through that loophole. But be that as it may, he came here, was a beloved Bulldog, and worked very, very hard to get this thing turned around, was part of that 2007 team uh, that won the Liberty Bowl. And uh, you know, when I say Jamar Chaney, I, I, know, I know exactly what you all are thinking. I, I know exactly the play that you are thinking of. I know it. I know it just as sure as I'm sitting here. Do I need to say it? I'm going to go ahead and say it. It's the Jamar Chaney Shea Hodge play where they, Ole Miss had a penalty. They had to back up. They, Jamar Chaney drops some line of scrimmage. I guess it went from a third and two to a third and seven or whatever. And then they, uh, they try to hit Shea Hodge on a crossing route. And uh, it didn't work out. Chaney absolutely destroys Shea Hodge. And uh, it was scary. You know, Shea laid there for a while, and they got him up, and he couldn't – he literally could not put one foot in front of the other in that ball game. Uh, it was an emotional play. You you probably can go to YouTube and watch it right now. I know there are probably a lot of players uh, and a lot, a lot of people around the state of Mississippi that have gone back and watched that game and specifically that play. Uh, you know, probably here it's a couple months ago when, when uh, you know, Shea's name was in the news again. You probably people went back and watched that. Probably took a lot of joy in watching that play. Uh, but that's the Jamar Chaney play. Like, there, there are certain plays that define some players' careers. And I think when you mentioned the name Jamar Chaney, that's probably the play that most comes to mind for Mississippi State fans. It was a big ball game for us. We needed to win that ball game to ensure we were going to a ball game. And we did. And we got the egg back. It was fun. It's a fun day. And now Jamar will be back for a lot more fun days. And, uh, again, this is a guy that knows – this guy knows the score and the rivalry, man. That's one of the things – there's so many people, and, I, and I've shared this with you guys before. I've had so many coaches that have come to Mississippi State and have told me that they understand rivalries. I heard Dan, Dan Mullen, <laughs> I would say within a month of getting here, Dan made the comment that, oh, I know all about rivalries. I had to recruit BYU in, in Utah. I, I was like, are you kidding me, Dan? I, mean, I didn't say it. But that's what we are all thinking. Really? You, you really think BYU and Utah is on the same level as the Egg Bowl? You know? And so then you find out pretty quick, and then you know, everybody kind of gets up to speed and everybody has their welcome to the SEC, welcome to the Egg Bowl rivalry moment. Uh, you know, for Dan, uh, you know, Dan kind of had the better of things for a while there. You know, he won the first three, and then I, I really think Hugh Freeze humbled Dan Mullen. I really do. I think, I think Dan struggled in that whole aspect of kind of uh, shutting things down. And I think, you know, the fact that Ole Miss was recruiting a little differently – I think that's a nice way to put it. They were recruiting a little bit differently. And I think Dan I think Dan struggled to adjust. Dan's not a guy that would get out there and fight in the streets. But I think that was really kind of Dan's welcome to the rivalry deal. I think there was some, you know, some things that happened that, uh, that kind of changed his perception of things. Well, then you bring Joe Moorhead in, and then, and then Ole Miss flips James Williams. And, of course, they, you know, nothing, you know, he's not even playing football now. I was told you can find him in Jackson right now whenever you want to. He's just kind of hanging out. Guy had a tremendous amount of potential, but he'd served his purpose, right? I mean, he was a flip, and he made all Ole Miss fans feel good on signing day because they flipped a kid that uh, kind of pulled the wool over our eyes. That was kind of Joe's welcome to the SEC moment. I think that moment happened for Mike Leach over this Jerry and John stuff, and it's it's amazing how quickly everybody wanted to stop talking about all of that. But again, if everything was on the up and up, those two guys would be at Ole Miss right here today, working out under the supervision of Lane Kiffin. Uh, they're not, so you can draw your own conclusions from there. So, uh, hawthorne.co, I've shared with you guys many times, it is without a doubt the best cologne that I've ever had. I have some of you guys DM me and say, hey, Steve, what's that cologne company? Listen, it's Hawthorne, H-A-W-T-H-O-R-N-E.co. Go order yourself some cologne. But before you do, take the little quiz it's going to pair you up with the, the scents that best fit your preferences. They say it's a two-minute quiz. I don't think it takes that long. You take the quiz, and then they pair you up. And I know you're thinking, Steve, there's no way that works. Dude, I'm telling you, it works. Everybody in my family will tell you that it works. I'm, I might even wear too much cologne because I like it so much. I'll put it on even if I'm not going anywhere because I want to smell nice. Because you know what's one of those things about life? When you walk in a room and you know you look good, you know you smell good, you know you're going to perform well. It's part of the deal. And so... Give yourself some confidence by getting the cologne that best fits you. Because nobody ever tells you how to buy cologne. You just kind of go in and look around and say, okay, well, I've seen in a magazine ad for this. I guess I'll get this. What do you get, Chris? 
What does Chad wear? You know Chad, that guy at the gym? Besides his Axe body spray, what does he wear? Well, we don't want to be Chad, okay? We want to be us. I want to be Steve. So take the test. Again, that's hawthorne.co. Use promo code BONEYARD and unlock some savings for you today. Again, that's H-A-W-T-H-O-R-N-E dot C-O. Promo code BONEYARD. Don't be a Chad. All right, top 10 list coming to you from Gibbo Gibson. Gibbo sent me three options. I I picked uh, the one that I thought my youngest daughter would most approve of. She's a college student at Mississippi State. And let me caution you with this, okay? So uh, I had to have, had to have put my car in the shop over the weekend. Coming back from a funeral, my car died. I was out there on I-59, as I shared with you guys on the show. Uh, Jason Dawn took care of me. Thank you guys again so much. I went, so on the way back, you know, to Starkville, I'm riding with my daughter. And uh, we listened to the Bee Gees. And uh, we listened to Toto. And uh, we listened to her favorite band of all time, which is Fleetwood Mac. Now, some of you criticized me when you said, hey, Steve, how could you not put Fleetwood Mac in the top rock bands that had a female singer? Well, the first thing that I'll tell you is that Lindsey Buckingham sang as many songs, if not more songs, than Christine McVie or Stevie Nicks. So, it's, it's, and again, I think Fleetwood Mac is their own genre. I think they're in their own lane. I think it's unfair to kind of add them, uh, you know, to, the, to a list that they may not fit. And I want to share with you a quick little statistic here before we get uh, too deep into this. Um, and so, because this was amazing to me before we get into this list. We're going to do Fleetwood Mac today. But uh, somebody shared this with me. So this is the mid-year report from Billboard, okay? This is the five best-selling rock albums during the first half of 2020. And I know you're right now I've got some baby boomers listening and saying, Steve, I'm not going to know any of these names. You're wrong. You're going to know them all. These are the top five-selling rock albums of 2020. Number five, Fleetwood Mac's Rumors, a classic if you don't have it, go get it today, whether you get it on vinyl or CD or iTunes. Great traveling music. Number four, oh, you, you know it before I say it. It's Journey's Greatest Hits. Don't stop believing, baby. That's for you, Jake Wimberly. Put some ketchup on that, brother. Number three, CCR's Chronicle Volume 1. A lot of great tunes on that one. Number two, a bit of a surprise, Elton John's Diamonds. It came out here back in 2017. That was around the time that uh, you know, that movie came out. And then number one, and this makes me proud, if we're not going to have a contemporary rock group as the number one band, this is the one it should be. It's Queen's Greatest Hits, released back in 1981. So that's that's the top five rock best-selling rock albums this year. Fleetwood Mac, Journey, CCR, Elton John, and Queen. What does that say about the lack of headliners in the genre today? I think it speaks volumes. Now, listen, I get it. The vinyl craze is kind of pushing some of this, right? Because there's a lot of people out there that didn't have vinyl before, and they love listening to vinyl. I love listening to vinyl. I'm not quite as crazy about it as some of you are. Listen, I've got about 600 CDs. I'm not going to replace all of them. But uh, there are some bands, especially those bands from the 70s and 80s, on vinyl, I go get those things. They were recorded in analog, uh, and, and I think it's better to listen to them that way. But that said, uh, it's crazy to think about that. So with that in mind, let's get into Fleetwood Mac. Fleetwood Mac, my top ten. Listen, uh, I'm going to go ahead and give you a spoiler alert. I didn't have any of Christine McVie's songs in the top ten. And one of the reasons why, and it's not that she's not talented, it doesn't, doesn't appeal to me quite as much as the Stevie Nicks and Lindsay songs. I think when Christy McVie sings, again, as talented as she is, it makes it more adult contemporary. I don't think it's quite as edgy with her. Like uh, Little Lies and Hold Me Now and all that. Good songs, but they sound more adult contemporary. Okay, so here we go. Ten through one. I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about these songs. I'm just going to spit them out because we've got some more important stuff to talk about too. Uh, number ten for me is Sarah. I think it's one of... of uh, Stevie Nicks' best vocal performances. Number nine for me is Gypsy. I think everybody knows that song. I think every, I think every, every young lady, because many of you are still young ladies. You may think you're middle-aged ladies, but you're not. You're young ladies. I think 
every young lady at some point has fashioned herself uh, as a gypsy. Uh, number eight, Never Going Back Again. I love the song. It's a Lindsey Buckingham song, and it's, uh, it's so cool. I think the vocal arrangement is incredible. And one of the things that people forget about Lindsey Buckingham. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. I tried the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year, and me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on have our chaps, our vest, and we go up there, and just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing, the versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice, or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tecovis does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours too. Be sure and check them out. Tecovis believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer. And you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tecovis boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding. Whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at Tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit Tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to Nerd Wallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year. Managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup. Putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with Smart Money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. It's a guy that used a guitar pick. He's a plucker. And so when you hear this song, you can really hear the tone of the guitar and you can hear him really plucking the strings. And uh, it's just a beautiful song. Number seven, Dreams. Uh, I think everybody knows this. This is probably one of the biggest hits that still is played on radio today from Fleetwood Mac. It's in heavy rotation pretty much on every adult contemporary station. And every classic rock station, you can hear Dreams just about everywhere. Uh, Number six, Rhiannon. My sister-in-law was probably two weeks away from being named Rhiannon. If this song had been released two weeks earlier, she would have been named Rhiannon because her mom liked it so much. Uh, she ended up being named Mandy, I guess, for Barry Manilow, which is not nearly as cool. But Rhiannon's a great tune. Uh, again, Stevie Nicks is just one of those singers that is just, you know, she is an alto, but she has just enough rasp in her voice to kind of give the rock edge. Uh, I don't know that there's anybody that's even close to her. I think it's just so, it's, she has a category of her own. Number five, another... Uh, Stevie song, that's the landslide. And it's, listen, everybody and their brother has covered this. Everybody from the Dixie Chicks or whatever they're calling themselves these days um, and um, Smashing Pumpkins have covered this. But listen, there are some songs you just don't mess with. This is one of them. I don't care who covers it. You're never going to be anywhere close to the original. And I'm a big fan of cover songs. I think it's cool to pay homage. But this is one of those songs to me because of how beautiful the arrangement was and the emotional delivery that Stevie Nicks had. I just I think you're almost embarrassing yourself by even trying. Number four, a lot different one, mostly an instrumental song, kind of a different track. You can find the uh, the video online on YouTube and you should watch it. 
courtesy of the USC marching band, but it's Tusk. You know, I know they played a song at Alabama a lot. I don't know that Alabama would have, I mean, that Fleetwood Mac would really approve of that. But uh, be that as it may, Tusk is kind of a weird song in its own, uh, its own way and unlike anything else in the catalog. Number three, and this is where I think we all, you know, we probably agree on the final three. We may not agree on the order. But number three for me is The Chain. I, I love The Chain. I think it's... Uh, Again, it's one of those songs that a lot of people have covered, and it's nowhere—it's nowhere near as good. It's not even close. Not even in the same realm. It's almost like you're singing two different songs. Uh, but the chain, the harmonies on that, the the arrangement on that. There's so many cool breaks in that song that it it just kind of stands on its own. It's almost like it's almost like Fleetwood Mac's Stairway to Heaven. I mean, it's just one of those songs when you look at, as soon as the, as soon as the opening bars open up, you know exactly who you're listening to. Number two, it's Don't Stop. And uh, I remember in the early 90s how this song kind of had a revival of sorts, you know, because uh, Bill Clinton kind of used it as, a, uh, as part of the campaign. And, uh, and so when they had the inauguration, Fleetwood Mac performed the song uh, at the Washington Mall. And so, kind of cool. Uh, love the song. I think it's one of those things, too, with, uh, when, when you think about the positivity of the message, it's one of those thong- songs that's just timeless for me. It still holds up even today. But number one for me, because I have felt this so many times in my life, but, uh, but also, too, I love the guitar solo at the end. And, again, it's a reminder of how incredibly talented Lindsey Buckingham is. But it's Go Your Own Way. And... Uh, I, that's one of those songs that when I get done listening to it, I want to hear it again. And sometimes I just put it on repeat and let it fly. It's because every time I listen to it, I, I discover something different. There's something new and fresh every time I listen to that song. And I think that's what makes songs classic songs is they still hold up to today. The production value is incredible. And I think when you listen to that song, you hear five amazing musicians at their peak of performers. So there you go. There's your top 10 list. If you have an idea for a top 10 list, like Gibbo Gibson did, reach out and let me know. Some of you guys, we just have much different tastes. As I told you before, I don't want to just put a list out there for the sake of putting a list out there. If I don't have a real strong opinion about it, if I don't think that I'm, you know, like I'm, I'm not going to do an NASCAR list, okay? I'm just, I'm not. You know, you, can, you might could ask me uh, my top 10 uh, country songs from the early 90s, and I might be able to work that out for you because I used to, I used to spend some time at the Silver Saddle there in Hattiesburg, you know. And so on Tuesday nights, I think it was all you could drink on Tuesday nights. And so we went because it was ladies' night. And so even though I wasn't a cowboy, I learned some cowboy songs so I could talk to cowgirls. There you go. All right, so let's go ahead and get into uh, Campus Bookmark, sponsors of the final segment of the show. Longtime sponsors of the show, love Campus Bookmart, Stan the Man, Miss Kathy Brown, the lovely, talented Susie. They will treat you like family at their place because you are family. If you can't make it to town to go see them and, and see their smiling faces, then you can go to campusbookmart.net. Let me encourage you to do that. There's a lot of great things to choose from. You can get those Mississippi State masks, and there's a lot of talk that we're about to have mandatory masks in the state of Mississippi. So you need to rep the brand by going to campusbookmart.net and ordering your mask right there from Campus Bookmart. Miss Kathy will order more. They'll get them in for you. Every time I turn around in these Facebook groups, somebody's saying, where can I get a Mississippi State mask? Well, here you go, Campus Bookmart. Use promo code BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. All right, let's take a little time now and talk a little bit about what's going on with junior college football. There are so many layers to this. And I have talked to multiple parties in the past 24 to 36 hours that have expressed some real concern about what's taking place. And so let me go ahead and bring you up to speed. The NJCAA has decided to move junior college football to the spring. Now, the MACC, which is the Mississippi Association of Community Colleges, formerly known as the MAJCC, I think, or MACJC, um, they abstained from the vote. And there is some discussion that the in-state junior colleges might play in the fall. They might just go ahead and say, you know what, we're going to go ahead and play as scheduled, 
and uh, and then we'll deal with it. Now the NJCAA, as I'm told, has said, "Hey, listen, listen here, Mississippi. Hey, you listen to us, you bunch of ignorant rednecks. If you go ahead and you play, you're not going to be eligible to be part of the playoffs. You're not going to be able to play for a national championship." Well, that kind of stands to reason, considering that we, we we may play in the fall and you guys play in the spring. But there's a lot of people out there that are, um, you know, that that are for playing in the fall, and so. Why would you play in the fall if you're not eligible to play for a national championship? Well, I'm, I'm going to give you a few reasons why. Number one, let's, let's take, for an example, let's look at, you know, the top programs in Region 23, which is Mississippi, East Mississippi, Mississippi Gulf Coast, Northwest Community College, JCJC, Gulf Coast. Uh, you, you got a few in there. you you got a few that are kind of in the swing gates there. But, uh, you know, East Mississippi routinely – attracts some of the best out-of-state placements in the country. They are a sophomore-heavy team. They have a chance to legitimately play for a national championship this year. Well, that's pretty much out of the realm of possibility now. But because of the fact that they're loaded, they're going to lose a ton of players in December. So you've had all these kids that have been with you, you know, for a year now, and uh, you've housed them, you've clothed them, you've fed them, you've taught them. And uh, you've done what the four-year school needed you to do. You've kind of nursed the situation along and put these kids in a much better situation for them to be successful at a major college. Not just athletically, but academically. Well, those kids were put on an academic plan in more cases than not, that enable them to graduate in December. And so now those kids are going to come to school and they're not going to play, and then they're going to leave in December and go off to their four-year school. Well, then Buddy Stevens and a bunch of East Mississippi and every other junior college in Mississippi, well, then they're going to have to go field a team with whoever's left, mostly freshmen and spring graduates. There's some other guys out there like Mississippi State's Cortez Eatman who was at Mississippi Gulf Coast, but is now planning to enroll at Holmes. I mean, this, I mean the grass doesn't grow under this kid's feet, right? I mean, he, this is a kid that uh, signed signed on with the Division II school, ended up at Independence Community College, then at Gulf Coast, now going to Holmes. Man, I can only wait to see the job hopping he does as a professional someday. But be that as it may, so what happens, though, let's say for an example, let's say Cortez Eatman, even though he has said that he is going to play, what happens – if he gets to Holmes and then all of a sudden Mississippi State's like, you know what, we really can't afford you taking the risk out there. Uh, listen, if you're going to play, we're probably going to have to go you know, sign somebody else because we can't run the risk of you getting injured and being unavailable next year because that, that's a parameter I don't think anybody has really talked about. Is so let's say all these junior college players go play a full football season in the spring. Now, you and I both know football is a very physical game. How many guys do you know that show up on campus from a junior college and they're already banged up and dinged up and they got to get surgery as soon as they get here? What happens? It doesn't happen a lot, but it happens enough that it's a concern. Well, so these kids are going to play a full season in the spring, and then if they have to have off-season surgery, they've only got the summer to recover before they're going to have to be right back in the mix of things. And so you've got summer workouts, you've got uh, you know, the voluntary workouts of the summer, and you've got fall camp. And so if I'm a, if I'm a four-year college, I'm thinking, listen, I don't want to run the risk. We signed this junior college kid because we needed an immediate impact guy. Well, if he's going to show up here as damaged goods and not be available, available to me next year, then he kind of defeats the purpose of being a part of this deal. Now, if he doesn't play, if he sits out the spring and basically takes a red shirt, well, then all of a sudden I've got three years of eligibility left. And so our junior college coaches are really going to have to battle through that. So I'm going to have, you know, I would imagine East Mississippi and Colin, those guys, they probably have, you know, double-digit guys, maybe 10, 12 guys that are going to be December graduates. So those guys leave, and then you're left over with a bunch of high school kids, uh, some of which enrolled with you in January because they were 18 years old and GED kids, uh, filling a team of those guys and kind of the leftovers and then some of the guys that are on your team may elect to say, you know what, Coach, I can't run the risk of losing my opportunity at Mississippi State or Southern Miss or UAB or wherever. 
and said, I'm, I'm going to have to sit out the spring. And they're not going to tell you in January, right? They're going to wait till they're back in school and they're enrolled and they're taking their courses because you're not going to run them off. You're not going to kick them out of school. The optics on that would be incredible. Is, well, this kid here is just doing what's best for his future and you guys aren't letting him play. And so our junior college coaches are going to have to just kind of string this thing together. You're going to have smaller rosters. You're going to have kids having to play more reps and the propensity for more injuries is apparent. Those are the things that I think about when I begin to, to kind of put this thing together. Now, there are so many other factors involved with this, not just from, like, let's get into this whole thing, junior college recruiting. Okay, so how do you go out and recruit this year knowing that those many of those guys are going to be back and then you've got to go in in December and probably go ahead and sign a bunch of kids at midterm to try to come in and help you fill the football team you know what what happens then you know what happens to the quality of play and what happens to the scholarship limitations the next year I mean because you, you're going to have you got you're going to have high school guys coming in in January you're going to have high school guys coming in in August and so it could get freshman heavy really really quick the rest of that story is what about the recruiting aspect for those guys out there that maybe need the season to play their way into some opportunities? You know, a lot of guys, you know, are kind of made men already before they get to junior college, but there are many others that they needed just needed some seasoning. Perhaps they were full qualifiers or perhaps they were guys that uh, needed to get reps. And many of those guys right now might might be – FCS or G5 guys, but with a strong season this year, perhaps could play their way into some better opportunities. Well, guys, we're signing in December. We're signing in February. So how are those guys going to be able to benefit from playing the season? What can they do to improve their standing as a prospect? I don't know if there's anything that they can do. Obviously, we don't know the dates of when a schedule would be, but you would have to think, you know, if you're going to play, you, you can't start playing until the spring semester begins. And But signing day is going to come that first Wednesday in February. So what benefit can you provide to the student-athletes that are, going to, that are going to elect to play in the spring in hopes of playing their way into a major college offer, whether that be Power 5 or not? There are a lot of kids out there that sign late to, to fill a need somewhere else. Another program may, may just be a depth situation. They perhaps could be a roster filler. But, but what kind of value do they get? There's just not a lot out there. There's not a lot of benefit for that. And listen, I get it. Everybody wants to provide the safest environment possible. And if listen, if you're a team out there, you know, if you're freshman heavy this year, playing in the spring is probably best for you. And then how many guys, and I know there's not a lot, of ton, there's not a ton of them, but uh, there are some guys that, you know, that play multiple sports. There's some, you know, so now all of a sudden if you're going to move everything in January, basketball included, what are we going to do? You know, I mean, so you're going to have to specialize. And I, I know there's not a lot of guys that are multi-sport guys on junior college level, but there are some. The people that benefit from this, first and foremost, are those guys that are – major college placement guys okay because they're going to be able to leave you know ideally when they signed on they were thinking okay i'm going to have two years at junior college and then two years uh, at my next school well now you're going to have three years at your next school so that's a big bonus for them and, and if you, the college the senior college coaches are thinking you know what you know now i get this kid for three years i don't have to run the risk of him getting hurt this year in junior college and so maybe I can be a little more patient with him. So then all of a sudden the recruiting numbers from my next class change a little bit because where I wasn't I wouldn't expecting to have this kid for three, I'm thinking two. And there's always that, you know, there's always that warm-up year, you know, even for Pernell McPhee, as great as he was, you know, it kind of took him half the year to figure things out. To Nico Autry, it took him a full year, you know. So now all of a sudden I've got that third year, that year to play with where – you know, there's the transition year, but then I'm going to get two years of quality play out of this kid. So those, those people benefit. But I don't see any benefit at all for our junior college programs around the state of Mississippi. And so, you know, it's just a one-year deal, hopefully. Uh, it's just a one-year deal, and they'll figure some things out. But uh, it is going to be an absolute mess this year in junior colleges. Now, there is some discussion out there 
that the state of Mississippi may just elect, you know what, we're just going to go it alone. You know what, we, there's only one of us that can win a national championship anyway. And so we're going to do what's best for our student athletes. We're going to go ahead and play this fall. And then our mid-year guys are going to leave. And then our spring guys are going to come back for spring football. And then uh, we'll just forego the NJCAA playoffs this year. We'll just, we just won't be a part of any of that. And I know there are a lot of supporters of that line of thinking. I don't know if they pulled the trigger on that, and I think there could be some consequences from that. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, the MACC is essentially an independent football league that is an affiliate of the NJCAA. And so they can make their own decisions kind of unilaterally of what the, the governing body does and just say, you know what, we're just going to withdraw from – the postseason this year because we think we need to go play play football in the fall we think it's good for our communities and that's the thing too if you've never been to a community college football game and listen they're, they're all over the state but you can go some saturdays and some thursday nights and you can go to places like popperville mississippi and ellisville mississippi and scuba mississippi and there'll be thousands of people there to watch a football game thousands and those communities depend on those ball games and those, all that out-of-town traffic and people coming in to see their kids play. Uh, it's big. It may not be as big as it once was, but with the level of play that we have seen in this league the last several years, there have been some, some huge crowds and some huge moments. And so there's a lot of that that I'm sure factors into the decision. You know, I don't, I don't know if you've been to Scuba, Mississippi lately. I was just through there yesterday. Uh, that town exists to support East Mississippi Community College. And there's not much of a town there. I mean, you've got the Scuba Junction and basically everything there at the four-way stop. And that's pretty much it. But there's a lot of people there in that little small town that they're employed by East Mississippi Community College. And so this is part of the revenue stream. And I don't know if you guys remember, uh, there was some real financial problems with Scuba in East Mississippi here in the last couple of years. And uh, that's one of the things that... I consider with all this stuff, too, is that there's been so much that's been taken away from us. Uh, you know, what happens, you know, for these small-town junior college communities, too? Because they're going to feel it uh, just as bad as us towns like Starkville, probably even worse. But be that as it may, that's where it, it stands today. And, again, it could change in 12 hours. So there is the possibility of JUCO football this fall. There is the probability of JUCO football in the spring, and I really think what they will do now is probably wait to see what the SEC does. I think the SEC is kind of the linchpin in this thing for a lot of reasons because I think if the SEC steps out and says, hey, this is what we're going to do, I think there are a lot of people out there who are scared to make decisions are going to say, you know what, we're going to do that because the SEC gives them cover. Because then all of a sudden you don't have to take all this heat. You can say, hey, we're just kind of, they're going to do it, we're going to do it, and we're done. It makes it a whole lot easier to stand out there uh, kind of against the court of public opinion when you've got other people that, that are probably a little better informed with greater resources than you kind of leading the charge there. But uh, because junior fo college football is so important to us in this state, I wanted to share that with you. And, of course, you know, if you look at Mississippi State's point of view, like Navante Q. Strong, yeah, this is a kid that uh, he's going to graduate in December. And so you say, hey, listen, hey, cool. We'll have the benefit of that kid for three years. And then you look at Cortez Eatman, you know, he's a May graduate, so it's still a two-year deal for him. And so, you know, if you're the rooting interest for Mississippi State is probably not as immense as it is for others. But um, it's just incredible to me to begin to think about how all of this is now intertwined and all these decisions probably – there's going to be one person somewhere that says, okay, this is what we're going to do. And then everybody else is going to kind of follow suit. And so be mindful of that when you watch the junior college thing, the news in the coming days, because the MACC abstained from voting with the NJCAA because it, my, my personal opinion is, is they just weren't sure if they wanted to go along with that. And so by abstaining from the vote, it gives them some freedom if they decide to kind of go their own way and do their own thing. Now, I don't think that's permanent by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, obviously it doesn't make any sense for – to, to make a permanent decision of our temporary situation. But for this year, it might be better to play in the fall. But, if, you know, if you're, the, if you're a smaller school, you're probably thinking, you know what, hey, if, if Buddy and those guys aren't going to have those SEC monsters on their roster, then, yeah, let's play in the spring. Yeah, right? 
And so I can see both sides of it. But uh, at the end of the day, it's about our student-athletes and about our communities. It's not necessarily about a school board. Uh, that sounds funny to say on a sports show, but the bottom line is, you know, there, there are bigger issues at play here. But, again, I, I still think it's a matter of figuring out who we can trust. But I uh, wanted to bring you up to speed on that. I know a lot of people probably have not paid close attention to that, uh, but probably will find that of interest today. So uh, before we get out of here, let me remind you guys, too, if you, if you hadn't done so, go to StarkVillainsTheBook.com. You can get personalized copies of Flim Flam and Stark Villains. And you can go to StarkVillains.com and get your Stark Villain shirt. Now officially licensed, now trademarked officially by the United States of America. Stark Villain is trademarked. And so you can go get those shirts, rep the brand. Appreciate your support. And uh, you can get T-shirts and hoodies. And as I've shared before, if you live in Starkville, you can get the Starkville and shirts because you live in Starkville. You are thus a Starkville, and you can get it in your school colors. So how about that? Go check all that out. Well, that's going to do it for today. We're going to get out of here. And, again, thank you guys so much for hanging in here with us. And, listen, there's nothing been decided about college football just yet. I know a lot of people out there in the national media will suggest that they know something that you don't. They don't because there's nothing to know yet. But uh, there is a little optimism, I guess you could say. Talking to some people behind the scenes here in the last day or two, there has been some optimism about Monday's meeting, that there is we're going to have some semblance of a season. Now, whether it's going to be in the fall, whether it's going to be abbreviated, whether we're going to have a lot of fans or no fans or whatever, that all remains to be seen. But there are a lot of doom and gloomers out there, and I see you guys on Facebook, and I just most of the time I just don't have time to deal with you. But uh, there are people out there, oh, trust me, there's not going to be any football. You don't know anything. You know nothing. You, you think there's not going to be any football. But here's, here's what I want to say you do. If you want to be a negative Natalie about all that stuff, when we play, then just stay home. Don't watch it. You know, go, uh, go shoot, ski, or whatever you want to do. Sit around and, and uh, spit tobacco, whatever. But uh, I, I can't – it irritates me to no end – these people who have to find a way to be right. And it's like, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what the report is. If somebody comes out, if Greg Sankey comes out and says, hey, listen, we're optimistic we're going to have a season, well, then there's going to be some clown on Facebook that's going to say, oh, well, he, he's wrong. It's not going to be football. It's like there's some people that are so committed to being miserable. It drives me up a wall. I mean, it really does. Why are you so serious about being unhappy if you love college football you want us to play college football you know and again mississippi state when they've had their infections it's been from guys that have shown up here that they didn't just get it when they crossed over the octibaha county line they brought it with them they didn't get infected here and all five of our guys and a staffer that have tested positive have all recovered and they did not spread the virus to their teammates and so they're here they're working out they're working with your coaches uh, they're getting ready to go play football. And so uh, I think that's, that's the facts of the matter. It would be one thing if everybody showed up here and then got sick, I could understand a lot of this angst. But that's not what's happening. That's not what's happening. Now, I'm, I'm sure, you know, Joe Blow on Facebook has told you, hey, listen, I've heard this, I've heard that. They hadn't heard anything. They're just making it up and attributing it to somebody else to make it seem believable. Let's just live a day at a time and hope for the best. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.